Appreciate you going there, sir. All right, Dr. Miss Aiken, thank you so much for singing. One day I came to him, I was so thirsty. Thank you, Dr. and Miss Aiken. I was traveling back through Atlanta. How many of you hate to travel through Atlanta? Flying back through Atlanta, driving back through Atlanta makes no difference. And as I was coming in to, thank you, sir. As I was coming in the airport, I looked up and there's a great big picture of Jimmy and Rosalind Carter. Did I say her name right? Is that right? How many of you don't even know who I just said? A lot of hands. How many of you do know who I just said? Oh, huge picture of the Carter family. And I thought, why in the world would you want their picture on your wall? And I guess they were trying to say, well, I guess, you know, we're, he was a president, and, you know, and I understand all that. But um, 
I don't know if he's a very good president, but I mean, he just, he was president. And, um, and, I, and just looking at Dr. Miss Aiken, we got something a whole lot better than Jimmy and Rosalind Carter, don't we? Amen. Amen. Getting excited about that water that's welling up on the inside. I appreciate that. I really do. I appreciate that. Well, go to Titus chapter 3 if you would. I'm not going to re-preach the morning message, but Titus chapter 3 is taking godliness into the world. We've looked at godliness in the home, chapter 2, godliness in the church, chapter 1. But in Titus chapter 3, we're ending the, the passage or the chapter, the book rather, on godliness in the world. Now that means being taken into the world. That we should take God that we have in our heart and that we can worship here in spirit and truth inside this auditorium. That we ought to take God outside of where we worship to a world that does not know him because they need not only to hear him, but we've been commanded to do so. We've been told that we're to be witnesses unto Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a good witness of Jesus Christ. And I'm not meaning that by saying I, I want to be effective. I would love to be effective. I would love to see more people one to Christ. But I want to be a good representative of Christ. I don't want anybody to ever point a finger at me and say, if that's a Christian, I don't want to be anything like that. I don't want to be the, the result, the, a hypocrite that somebody could point their finger at. So godliness needs to go out into the world. You and I as believers, we need to have God in our heart and a godly life when we go out. And there's three things, I guess, tonight that I want to point out. If you look at the first one, we looked at it this morning. In verse number 8, the end of verse number 8 says that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. Right? He says, I want you to maintain good works. The beginning of the verse says to affirm constantly. This is something that needs to be pushed forward, that we, that we are maintaining good works. Verse number 14, let ours also learn to maintain good works necess for necessary uses that they be not unfruitful. And I gave you an illustration out of 1 Timothy chapter 5 about a widow, how that widows that raise children, that's their family, lodge strangers. That's outside. Wash the saints' feet. That's the believers. So you got the family, the church, and the world, and then you have those in affliction. And what we can do is we can take and do something good to people, and we don't do something good to get to heaven. We do something good so that men might see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven, that he created us to that end. So I want to put a little feet on that this evening for just a minute, if we could, the beginning of the message. And um, I, I would like to propose this. I would like to propose. I saw on that picture that our dear brother put up there of his, his presentation. Um, there was, a, I believe, a fire station that was there and looks like a police station that was there and then looked like he had something to do with the military. Is that correct? Yeah, I've been a so you've been a chaplain in the fire department. The man sitting right down here, right, right there. Right, way, way, brother David. You need to meet him right there. Just make sure you do that at the end of service. Now, why... Why couldn't we do something like this? Why couldn't we have a Sunday school class decide that they're going to adopt the Parker Fire Department and once a month go down there and take some kind of food and if we can put a QR code that can put the gospel out there, why couldn't we put a QR code that has something about what's a prayer that we could pray? What, what's at the top of your prayer list and pray for those men that are in the fire department? Does that sound like a good work to you? 
What about the Easley Police Department? Somebody take say, you know what I think? We'll take the Easley Police Department. We'll take them, <laughs> we'll take them donuts once a month. <laughs> They're probably sick of donuts. But to do something along those lines, and you say, well, what Sunday school class? Well, any of them. Wouldn't matter just a Sunday school class, a group of people saying, I think we'd like to do something and choose this location, these group of people, let them know Tabernacle Baptist Church cares about you. What's at the top of your prayer list? I think it'll be a good work. I'll tell you another good work I'd like to do this Friday. This Friday, I'd like to just pay it forward. Wherever you are, if you're a part of Tabernacle Baptist Church, whatever line you're in, one time during the day on Friday, Whoever's behind you, you pay for whatever they're doing, whatever they're eating, whatever they're drinking, and take a track. Make sure you hand it to the person that's going to be at the counter and say, you give this to them and tell them that there's a church in this county that cares about their soul. That sound like a good idea? Look, people say, no, I don't know about that now. You do that. If, if somebody, have you ever had somebody buy your coffee? I pulled up. I pulled up the window, and somebody said, "Hey, the guy in front of you bought you coffee." Well, praise the Lord. Well, how about we buy somebody's coffee and leave a track with it, and let them know, "Hey, that came from the Lord." I'd like to do that Friday. In fact, I'm going to call you on Thursday night and Friday morning to remind you that. I want the whole church to do it. You said you always get what you want. Nope. I can already tell by the response that I'm looking at right now. You not some of y'all are not going to do it. But you know, I asked the question today, how, how rich are you in good works? How, how well is that account doing? You know, that, that's not a big deal to do something like that. So why not go ahead and put some feet on that? And take and say, okay, God, I'm going to do what I find in the Bible. I'm going to maintain good works. I'm going to do something to step that forward going out into the world. Not inside just of here, but out into the world especially. I want them to be able to know that we were created not just by God and by his salvation, but I want to create, show I was created for good works. I want to do something that would be pleasing to him. I think it would be a good thing. Now, the next thing is a little bit negative if you look at verse number 9. Verse number 8 says, affirm constantly the good works. That's what you need to be focused on. And then verse 9, when you're out in the world, avoid foolish questions, genealogies, contentions, and striving about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. So there's some... There's some entangled conversations you need to avoid when you're in the world. If you go out in the world and you try to minister in the world, there's some things that you just don't need to be entangled by. The Bible says there, avoid foolish questions. Now, there are good questions. In 1 Kings chapter 10, that queen came to Solomon and asked him hard questions, and he gave the answers. And you can find that Jesus Christ himself in Luke chapter 2 is in the temple, and he's asking questions and answering questions. So I think... Questions aren't bad. In fact, I would say this. If you have somebody asking you questions at work, I think it would be good to answer them. We have a question and answer session for the Bible college students. We give them an opportunity to ask questions, and then we try to give them an answer. A dear friend of mine in Texas, he would tell people that visited his church, he'd say, listen, I'd like to come by and present to you the gospel, and any of your questions you have, I'd like to answer. And then he would go and he'd make that, make that appointment, sit down, and he would answer their questions, and then he would get to the gospel. He didn't do what I was taught. I was taught, listen, take their question, brush it aside, get right back to the gospel. Some people need their questions answered. Just answer. But then the Bible says here, though, foolish question. What's a foolish question? An unanswerable question. 
You need to avoid those. Like, can God make a rock so big you can't pick it up? That's a foolish question. Doesn't have an answer. A foolish question would be a question that's unprofitable. That doesn't help you in any shape, form, or fashion. Yeah, I think that if there's a conversation to be had about moving my heart toward God or, or helping me with my family or helping me with others around me, my home, that, that might be a good question, but just, just something that doesn't really matter, that's, that's a foolish question. A foolish question is a divisive question, something that divides. If, if you're out there very long, you're going to get asked some foolish questions. And you know what God said? Just avoid them. Just avoid. Look at the second thing. He says avoid foolish questions and genealogy. Genealogies are something in the Bible that are used to establish truth. Abraham, God told Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, Jacob had a brother named Esau, but God established the lineage through Jacob. And so those genealogies are there to establish truth and to establish the person of Jesus Christ. You have genealogies in the New Testament establishing that Jesus was of the lineage of David. And my, didn't Brother Knox do a good job with that? But genealogies, genealogies that start off trying to establish who you are and what race you are and all of those things. I, you know, a lot of people like to take and tell you what, what they have in their background. But usually they, they want to stop at some certain point because they really don't want to go too far back in there. You know, there, there are some, listen, I, I remember our, our, our family, we were trying to find some things out about our family, trying to chase back some heritage records. And, and we found out that there was a castle that, uh, that we had part in. There in Scotland. And, um, and then we also found out that that castle also was taken from the Logan family because of a controversy that had to deal with the king and that they left and ran from Scotland to Ireland. And then I found out, well, what about in the Highlands and all these Logans in the Highlands and they were, they were killed down to the last man. Well, what happened to your heritage? Well, they all died. And I'm sure if you looked in there, there would probably be some drunks and there'd probably be some guys that you wouldn't want to be associated with. I think we ought to try to be careful about trying to say about who we are. And look, I'm an American, and I'm a son of God. I appreciate that. But hey, when you get right down to it, it's not your race, and it, it is not your nationality that makes you who you are. It's you being somebody in Jesus Christ. So when somebody wants to talk about genealogies and races and all of that stuff, I, I, I'm, still, I'm here to tell you again tonight, we have, we have such a diverse crowd of people at Tabernacle, and I'm glad that we do. I'm glad that we do. The Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. And that doesn't mean this race over that race. That means all men. All men. Now, I know that makes some people uncomfortable in the South, but it shouldn't. But when you get at work, you, you be careful in the world of being drawn into some kind of debate about race and about nationality. I think we ought to love the Jew because it's God's people. Amen. Amen. And beyond that, I'm a, I'm a citizen of heaven. Glad to be a citizen of the United States. Then look at the next word there. It says contentions. You need to avoid contentions. And, um, you know, contentions are a pride issue. If you want to write down Proverbs 13, 10, only by pride cometh contention. You know, some people just want to start a fight. How many, I'm just curious. How many of you do not like to fight? Let me see. Okay. How many of you know somebody that likes to fight? Okay, so you know what you do? You avoid them, right? That's what he said. Avoid foolish questions. Avoid, avoid contentions. I'm not going to get drawn into that issue, that, that debate over something. And there's a lot of things to debate right now. 
If you want, you can debate all kinds of things. You can de debate things about the LGBTQ community. You can debate about CRT training. You can debate about CBD and cannabis and all of those things being made legal. There are all kinds of issues in this world that you can debate with people when you're out there. And here's what I would say about that. Don't be drawn into those contentions. If you were to show 12 verses on why it's wrong to drink and never tell them about Jesus Christ, what we heard about, that drink of cool water, you're still not winning the argument. So he says, when you're out there, those are some things you need to avoid. Contentions, foolish questions, genealogy. Then it says, strivings about the law. And I'm going to take that to mean about the Jewish law. There's a moral law that we've been given and save that for keeping the Sabbath. I believe that's something that you and I are obligated to still abide by. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. I think those are still binding. But then you have civil laws that are dealing with society about people's animals and people's property. And then you have ceremonial laws. And that's dealing with all the feasts and the holy days and the tab tabernacle and the temple. And what I would say is I wouldn't get into a debate about that. In fact, here's what I'll just tell you. People get in debate about all kinds of things in the Bible. They get in debate about di dietary laws. Now, I, I know there's all kinds of things in the book of Leviticus about diet. And we probably ought to eat better. But when you start pulling verses out of Leviticus and tell me that I, have, I can't eat anything if it doesn't have fins and scales, so I can't eat shrimp, and I can't eat catfish, well, I'm just not going to fight you about that. I'm just going to say, God bless you, then I'm going to eat shrimp and catfish. <laughs> and if it doesn't part the hoof and it doesn't chew the cud, I can't eat it. So that means I've got to throw away all the pork. And you, look, there are people that think that's terrible. You put that in your body, then you're putting the worst thing you put in your body, and you're going to die young. Well, if you believe that, and Lester Roloff, he was here, he'd probably correct me on that. But the fact is, I'm just saying, I'm not going to fight you about that. If you don't want to eat pork, help yourself. If you want to be a vegetarian, help yourself. I'm glad I don't have to be one. I'm, not, I'm glad I have liberty. Everything. It's every creature. And I don't want to eat every creature. Can I get an amen there? I don't want to eat every creature. But every creature is to be received with thanksgiving. And it's all sanctified by the word of God and prayer. You're at liberty. You can eat what you want. But I'm not going to sit there and debate and fight about that. They fought with Jesus about the washing of hands. They thought about the Sabbath day. And all I'm just saying, there are things that they would take in the law. And if you're going to be out there and you're going to help people, then there's some conversations you need to stay out of. You don't need to get involved in debates about the law and genealogies and foolish questions. You need to stay away from those. You need to let those go by and you need to stay on point in dealing with the matter at hand. And that is... Right there in verse number four, the kindness and the love of God, our Savior toward man appearing. You know what? We got something worth talking about, don't we? Amen. And then the third thing, the third thing he mentions is in verse number 10. This is another group of people you're going to run into. The Bible says, a man that is an heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth being condemned of himself. Now, I find it very interesting when you begin to study that word in your Bible, 
That word heretic only occurs in Titus. The word heresy occurs in other passages. But many of the newer Bibles, they don't like the word heresy. Maybe they don't like it because they don't know what it means. Maybe they don't like it because they're party to it. I have no idea. All I just know is, is that they don't really like that word. And, and that word, you know, I think people probably today would rather be called a heretic than a hypocrite. But heresy is definitely something that is in the Bible. And he says this, very, very plain, a man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition. So two opportunities. In other words, in a public place, two opportunities. A man that's an heretic after two admonitions reject. Well, that goes right along there with what Jesus said about the church. He said, you know, go to that brother, go to him alone. If he won't hear you, then take two or three with you. You take some witnesses with you. You, you make it public. And, and he's saying after that second, second admonition, you reject that individual. There's no more conversation going to be had. Um, and you say, why, preacher? Well, one, you're going to waste your time. And I, I know this, before I defined heretic, I, I remember vividly being in Northern Ireland and, and uh, we were on the street of uh, the city of Coleraine and we had been out there and we were singing, passing out tracts and talking to people and, and I came across this young man who seemed really interested so we sat down and we started a conversation and about two hours later I came to the conclusion that really he, he wasn't interested in learning the truth, he was interested in converting me to Mormonism. And when I finished and I got up and I walked over to where this senior missionary was, he said, uh, he was a Mormon, wasn't he? I said, yeah. He said, he wasted your time, didn't he? I said, yes, sir. And I learned a lesson. I'm sure nobody would have ever been guilty of this in any of the classes that you were in. But you know, sometimes students will ask a lot of questions just to try to keep you from teaching the material at hand. Postpone the test being given. It's just all a bunch of noise waiting hopefully for enough time to pass that finally we can move on to something different. And what I'm saying is here, he says there's a reason you only give one or two. It's not that they're less valuable. He's saying, look, two shots at the truth of being given something that gives you the truth and then it's time to move on publicly in the world. All right, but now let me look at that a little closer for you if you would. Look at, look at two places in your Bible. Get Get Romans 16 and Acts chapter 20. I think that there is something more to heresy than just somebody that doesn't believe what you believe. Romans 16 and Acts chapter 20. There, there is the idea, I, I believe, behind the word heretic and heresy. That would be akin to the word cultic, although I'm not making them the same. When you find someone that's part of a cult, what they have done, they'll take an individual and they will elevate that individual. And then that individual then can begin dictating what people should or should not do. All right, now if you look there in Acts chapter 20, it's not exactly the same thing, but it, it's, it's, it's moving that direction. Paul speaks to these people at Ephesus that he has a great heart for. And then he says this, verse 29, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. That's outside. Something outside coming in, destroying the people of God. Verse 30, Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking 
perverse things to draw away disciples after them. In other words, they will begin to speak perverse things, things that are not right, things that are not correct, to draw men after themselves. That they'll put some things forward, but they're not going to do it like the wolves. They're not going to come in and destroy people outside. Inside, they're going to bring somebody along, and they're going to begin showing them something, trying to cause them to follow them. Yeah, I tell you this, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to elevate myself at all. But if if there's somebody in our church that pulls you aside and shows you doctrine, and says, "Now don't you go to the pastor with that," I'm gonna tell you all to come straight to me with that. And it's not because I'm always right and I know everything. I'm just telling you, somebody that pulls you aside to give you some brand new doctrine may not be anything of value at all. May be hurtful. How many think we live on a round earth? Well, let me show you some verses about a flat earth. Don't need to see them. Well, don't tell anybody. That's what I believe. Well, if you're ashamed of what you believe, why you believe it? (laughs) There's all kinds of things you can have in this world that are like that. And all I'm just saying, when somebody begins to pull you aside and try to draw you to themselves, that's a dangerous thing. The same thing is mentioned in Romans 16. Look what it says, Romans 16. The idea is the same. Romans 16, verse 16, salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. In other words, if they're bringing a doctrine that is contrary to what you've been taught, Contrary to what we've sat and looked at in the scripture, you need to avoid them and you need to mark them as they divide people. Yeah, I'm going to say tonight, I'm going to say it out loud, I believe this is true. I would never want to be guilty of dividing the church of the living God. It's another man's bride. It's another man's children. Listen, it's another man's flock. I don't need to do anything to God's building. I need to build it up, elevate it. I need to take care of the people here. I don't want to be guilty of division. Division. You know, mark those people. Why? Because there's a reason they're teaching contrary doctrine. So you say, well, what exactly is heresy? I'm glad you asked that question. Acts 24, would you go there now? So people that ask foolish questions, people that have entangling conversations, you need to avoid that. You need to be very busy in good works. That's what he's saying. Out there in the world as a Christian, when you go into the world, you need to be busy with good works. But you need to avoid these questions that entangle. And then you need to reject those that are heretical. Two admonitions, and then it's time to move forward. Here's the reason. Look at Acts 24. If you look down at verse number 14, the Bible says, But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy... So worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things that are written in the law and the prophets, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Now, the dictionary definition of heresy is fundamental error, opinions that differ from the church, or opinions that differ from the scripture. In the Bible here, it's very plain, somebody that is is, is involved in heresy is somebody that is denying the resurrection of the dead. How many, how many believe Jesus Christ got up from the dead? It's a fundamental doctrine. 
So when you get into the fundamental doctrines, somebody that denies those fundamental doctrines, I would say that's heresy. You say, like what? Like this, like Jesus Christ being God manifest in the flesh. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, that's, that's a fundamental doctrine. We believe that. We believe that salvation comes only through the finished work of Christ, so the blood of Jesus Christ is the tool, the means whereby God accepts payment for sin and nothing else. That's a fundamental so when you reject that, then you're creating something I believe to be called heresy. Heresy. And I think that is something that is so, so important to understand. That does happen publicly. I, I remember when we were in the Republic of Georgia, my brother took a team from his church. Uh, my wife and I went there. I can't even remember. We hadn't been married very long at all. We were still here at Tabernacle. And we got there, and, and, and it was wide open the opposite of what's taking place now. The Russians had moved out. The Soviets had taken down the wall. And now, now there was freedom to at least put forward the truth of the scriptures in Jesus Christ. And we would, we would go to a tank factory and rent the tank factory out, fill it up with people, give away Bibles and see, just see all kinds of people get saved. Rent school buildings and just watch it be filled up with people and people would get born again. And I remember being on the street. We had all kinds of tracks. I had a translator with me. And we're, we're out there and we're passing out tracks. And all of a sudden this large group of people began to gather because we're giving away free literature. Well, wouldn't that be a blessing if you passed out track down Greenville and a crowd gathered around you saying, can I have one of those too? Well, that happened. And so we're passing them out. And as we're doing that, all of a sudden, guys start asking questions and I start answering the question and, and we're back and forth and we're still passing out. And the guy that was with me, my, my interpreter, was, was a lost man. And... Um, just doing the best he could. He had no idea what was going on. And so we're passing out tracts and, and more questions came. And I began to answer more questions. The crowd got bigger and bigger. And then finally one of the men raised their hand and asked a question. And he looked at me. He said, he said, if Jesus is the son of God, why did he pray to the father? So I turned around and I started answering the question. And when I answered the question, he translated that, and I, I don't know that I did a very good job at all. And that, that man, he said, no, 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 no. And whatever he said was the equivalent of saying Jehovah's Witness. And their hands went up, and people started taking tracts out of their hands. And here I am, a Bible college graduate, and I'm crushed because there is a definite division going on right here. It was somebody that had taken something and doubting the fundamentals that Jesus was God. You say, people don't believe it. Around this world, Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, those people don't believe that Jesus is God. And I'm telling you, that's exactly who he is. It's heresy to believe otherwise. So he defines that as a fundamental doctrine. I believe there's a heaven according to the scripture and I believe there's a hell. I believe there's no place in between. There is no place to be retried or, or somehow purged. You get purged down here at the cross of Calvary, not any other place. All right. Those become fundamentals of the faith. And then a second thing, if you'd look with me, go if you would to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, heresy. So you can identify a heretic by somebody that rejects the fundamentals of the faith. 
Now, I know sometimes we have some people believe fundamentals of faith that aren't fundamental whatsoever. They're just opinions. They're preferences. They're things that they, they have a taste for, that, they've, that they have maybe grown to a certain place and they reject. You know, I think it's probably a good idea probably not to watch very much TV. Could you say amen to that? I, w- I wouldn't say that the television itself has any problem in it whatsoever, but I would say what comes over that television, there's a whole lot of problem that comes through that. Would you say amen to that? Yeah, but some people would think that you're more spiritual if you don't have a TV. And that if you believe that a TV is something you have in your home, that you're heretical. I don't believe television is a fundamental faith. Are you saying I can't? Are you saying I can't have a TV? You don't have to have. We didn't have a TV for a long time. In fact, we had a family business one time. I, we didn't have a TV. I don't know how many years it was. And uh, and their son looked up and said, "Where's your TV?" And we don't have one. He said, "You don't have a TV." <laughs> like he was saying, "You guys don't use electricity either, do you? How do you survive?" <laughs> How many, how many of you are glad you can remember a day when you survived without a smartphone? How did we get from point A to point B? I guess we barely made it. Right. Now, I'm, I'm not saying anything. If you have television, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make that debate. What I'm saying to you is that some people make that an issue because it's important to them. But I don't believe it's a fundamental of the faith. If you start calling somebody a heretic in your church because they've got a television, you don't. You better be careful with that. Amen. Second Peter chapter two. Second Peter chapter two. Here's another definition I believe of heresy. This is very important to us to understand. That falls right back into the word heretic. I think in Titus. So you're going out into the world. I'm putting forth my good works. I'm I'm, I'm really. St- really striving to be rich in good works for the strangers, the afflicted. And I'm, I'm really striving not to get entangled in all this, this divisive talk, these problematic conversations. And I'm definitely going to take and give a heretic two admonitions publicly, but I'm not going to go past that. And here's why. Verse 1, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily, that's privately, shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not. Now, whoever these people are, they're definitely somebody that is facing damnation, verse number three, damnable heresies, verse number one. These are people that are that are taking and changing, I believe, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what it says, even denying the Lord that bought them. And I'm going to say this to you. I believe heresy is when you change the identity and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe I can say it this way. There are, there are people that have put forward that Jesus was the product of some sort of, of, of immorality. I'm telling you, that is not true. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin And there is no debating that. There is no question about what the Bible says about that. If you change the identity of Jesus Christ, you know what I think you're doing? I think you're creating heresy. Right. Right. 
And you change his work. You change what he did at Calvary. And you're, you're creating heresy. So preacher, you're saying there's a lot of people in this world that are, that, are, that are heretical when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ. You're right. So that's why you need to give them two admonitions. Amen. Now that doesn't mean you're ugly to them. It, the, the word admonition does not say rebuke or attack or bludgeon. <laughs> you have a different God, so I'm going to destroy. No, that's not it at all. No, they need to hear who Jesus Christ is. And so the idea is heresy is that which changes the work of Jesus Christ and that which destroys the fundamentals of the faith. And if that is something that's out there, then there needs to be a public admonition. That's not the same thing as avoiding foolish questions. And you need to wade into that. I wish that I had done a better job on that street in Georgia. When I got back, I told my brother what had happened, and we got all the preachers together, and they said, listen, men, we need to be aware that there are other people here, like the Jehovah's Witness, that are intent on trying to also reach this country. And we need to go ahead and get our doctrine straight. We need to, that's, listen, we need to know what we believe. You need to know what you believe. And then, then you can step into Titus chapter 3. Go back there if you would with me again. Titus chapter 3. The Bible says of that heretic that know that he that is such is subverted. He's overthrown. He's been put under and sinneth being condemned of himself. So this heretic needs to be admonished twice and then rejected. The entangling questions in verse number 9 need to be avoided. The genealogies, the contentions, the striving. And then the, the good works need to be maintained. And that is something that needs to be affirmed constantly. And the reason, again, look at the end of verse 8. These things are good and profitable unto men. Verse number 9, for they, or the end of verse 9, for they are unprofitable and vain. So when I'm out there, I want to be effective. I want to do what I can do to make a difference for the Lord Jesus Christ. So if I'll take these three things in the book of Titus, godliness in the world, when you go out into that world prayed up and you're in your Bible and, and you're in love with Jesus and you see that there are needy souls out there, don't get brought in to those entangling conversations and take and do some kind of good work that can bring forward an opportunity. And by all means, if you step in front of a heretic that publicly challenges the identity and work of Jesus Christ, you know what I say? Go ahead and give two admonitions and say, nope, Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. And then that takes godliness out into the world, not just inside the church. Now, can I ask you a question? How many of you think that your workplace probably needs a good dose of that right there? I'm a, how many, of you have, how many of you have a workplace where there's a lot of foolish questioning going on? Contention. Talk about things that don't matter whatsoever. I, listen, listen I, I, am not against, I am not against being informed, but there's some things I don't need to know about in this world. What I do need to do is I need to stay focused on getting the gospel in front of as many people as I possibly can. And so we as a church, we need to have that in our heart, carrying the Lord outside of these walls and not just having him inside of these walls. Listen, I think we ought to worship him here. We can worship him out there, but we ought to take him outside these walls and there ought to be good works. Stay away from the entangling conversations. And those heretics, you've got to say something to them publicly. 
for the Lord's sake. Amen. All right, any questions? All right, Joe. You know, every time I've told that story, everybody wants to know what my answer was. My answer to that was that when Jesus was on the earth, the only time you ever had that to happen was when God was manifest in the flesh on the earth, and that did not make him any less God. It just put him on the earth. So you had something going on that never had gone on before. So as a man in the body he was in, that he was praying to the Father. And then usually go to some other passage like John 10.10 10 or something like that. Yeah. Dr. Aiken, I'm sure, has a better answer. I know you do. <laughs> Any other questions? Yes, sir, Brother Hurst. Yes, sir. That's exactly right. That's right. T changing the gospel into another gospel. That's exactly right. Yes, sir. And that is the truth. I know this, this area, I, for some reason, is not nearly as familiar with what, what we had in, in North Alabama, South Tennessee. But in North Alabama and South Tennessee, I read the verse that I've had quoted to me about the church. If you look there in the passage about the churches of Christ, well, we won't go back. But church of Christ believed that you have to repent, confess, believe, and be baptized. And that's the gospel. There's nowhere you can find that in the Bible. And when you ask them, where is that in the Bible? They say, well, it's all through the scripture. But when you take them to 1 Corinthians 15, we can show them the gospel. The gospel is that Christ died according to the scriptures for our sins. Amen. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The gospel is right there in the Bible. All right. But, but they are adamant. No, the gospel is repent, confess, believe, and be bad. I told a man, I've repented. I've confessed. I believe. And I've been baptized. Am I saved? He said, well, if you got, not if you didn't get baptized in the Church of Christ Church. That's what he told me. And that's so I asked him, I said, so you think the water in your church is different from the water in my church? I mean, we had the same water company. How could it be different? Unless you believe that water becomes the blood of Christ. I don't believe that Jesus shed his blood only one time. All right, any other questions? All right, well, let's stand to our feet then. Take Jesus with you out in this world. Take and ring up that account. Fill up that account of good works. Don't get entangled in all kind of conversations that mean nothing. And somebody that's going to take and attack the deity and the work of Jesus Christ, you make sure you put that out there publicly. Let me tell you what Jesus did. You, you can always tell them what Jesus did for you, can't we? Amen? Amen. All right, Lord, we thank you for the night. We thank you for our people. And, um, and Lord, we thank you that we have the opportunity to live in a free country. Thank you, Lord, that we can have conversation without worry of being put in prison or losing our family, losing our job. And Lord, again tonight, we pray. We pray, Lord, for Brother Wierick and, and his wife and her, her family and those people there in Alaska. And then we think, Lord, about those people there in the Ukraine tonight. Lord, people that are living in a basement, people that are wondering whether or not they'll be the ones that are dead tomorrow morning and fearful for their children and 
and their husbands and their sons. And Oh, God in heaven, would you please just let that banner keep going out there and have some of those folks find that website and have them to listen to a, a testimony of salvation. And God, would you save more people there in that place? And we'll thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. <clears throat>